Thanks for tuning into the ES First podcast. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So take a minute to hop on over and give us a like or a follow. And of course, if you're ever in Excelsior Springs, stop on by. We can't wait to welcome you home. Here it is first, we're Jesus followers, and so we follow the Bible. We believe the Bible is the written word of God, and it's also the, uh, the spirit of God, Jesus, given to us in our hearts. And so we, we study books of the Bible. Romans is, is this, this letter uh, written to a church at Rome. And so Paul was good at writing letters, and so he was a pastor who wrote letters to different churches and encouraged them and showed them um, how they should live their lives, how they should function. And uh, so as we read Romans, as we study Romans, we're finding a lot about what he believes um, that we should be participating in and how we should believe internally. So most of Romans, 11, it's about 16 chapters, 11 chapters are devoted to this, this idea, this teaching of salvation. It's where we get our doctrine of soteriology. Soteriology is a study of salvation. And so salvation is how are you saved? So most people are, are trying to find out and figure out how do I connect with God? Okay? And so, you know, 70s, 80s, they had, uh, you know, uh, what are those things called? Neon lights. Said so Jesus saves. You got bumper stickers. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. They walk around saying, Are you saved? Are you saved? Have you been saved? Have you, what they meant, has, have you prayed a prayer and become saved to get a ticket to heaven? And uh, although heaven is included in salvation, it's so much more than just being saved by a prayer. It's actually becoming a person who is marked by God and follows after God with their lives. And so when we say, are you saved? It's so much bigger than just a moment. It's actually a transformation from old to new. And so what, what Paul is taking 11 chapters to teach and show us is that it's, it's, it's not a religion you join, it's not a prayer you pray, it is a life that comes to you as a gift from God and it marks you and it transforms you into what God wants you to be. So we're in the fourth chapter and uh, what God has, has basically lined out to us is that we can't save ourselves. Like no matter how many rules and moral obligations you have, you cannot save yourself. As a matter of fact, when he created Adam and Eve, they were absolutely perfect and they sinned. And over the course of time, humanity just got worse and worse and worse until there's a point where he has to send a flood because humanity is so evil and he saves Noah and his family because they're the only good ones left, Right? And so over the course of time, humans just, just begin to follow their own way and do what they want to do and whatever makes you happy and, and whatever made them happy was worse and worse and worse and more evil and more evil and more evil. And so God establishes these rules and he says, you know what, um, you can't save yourself. Let me show you these rules, these, these, this law that will tell you how difficult it is to be perfect. And the law is full of these things that are absolutely hard to follow. They're so hard to follow. I mean, you can get close. You can do some things like, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Like, if you worked really hard, you could do that. Like, thou shalt not murder, okay? And like, it's like, I haven't killed anybody, so I'm doing pretty good at this law thing. And then he has rules like, don't eat shellfish. And he's like, on this certain day, you need to travel to Israel. You need to sacrifice a lamb, and you have to do everything just in this right way. And these rules get thicker and thicker and thicker so that God can show you, look, you cannot make it on your own. We're self-serving people. We want to do everything by ourselves. Like when a handout comes, we're like, no thanks. I got it. Like I'm, I'm so good I, I, at handling my life. I'm, I'm not a bad person. I'm, I'm better than most. And, and he's like, look, like, just, just show me. Or, let me just tell you that you are not 
able to keep the commands that, that it, it takes to be absolutely holy and perfect like me. He says, but I have an invitation for you. It's this guy named Jesus. He was perfect, and he actually is the person who sacrifices his life for your sins. And this is the gospel. He says, and in that exchange, let's just put away the law and the rules and all that stuff because you can't come to me anymore and be like, you know what, I'm doing pretty good. I think I've got a, a good strategy for being a good person. I'm, I'm a good moral person. And I think when I, when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, look, look how good I was. He's like, no, you can't do that. All you can say is, I believe in Jesus. And so for the first three chapters, he's been expressing to us and the people of Rome that you are not going to make it to heaven by keeping a bunch of rules. You won't do it. As a matter of fact, you won't even please God by keeping a bunch of rules. Right? You want your kids to please you by following all the rules. And so you've got, you've got this all tricked out. Like, you're like, well, my kids cleaned their room. And you know what? They did all their homework. And they're not getting any Fs. And so they're, they're, they're really good kids. I think I could be that for God. Like, as if your kid's relationship is like even a relationship with the Almighty God. He says, look, I do everything for you. All you have to do is receive it and then act like you care about the gift I gave you. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And so what he says, he says, you can't do it by law. You can't do it by, uh, he talks about circumcision and this, this, these religious things that they would do. He's like, you can't do it that way. He says, all you can do is do it by faith. And faith is believing in Jesus and what he has done for you. Okay? And so he talks about this guy named Abraham. Abraham is the first Jew. And uh, you might have heard of Abraham. Um, but he was, he was the guy that, that basically started when, when God called him. He obeyed God. He believed God with his life. And uh, he trusted God. And God says, I'm going to give right believing, right standing with me to you because you were willing to do what I said. So that's faith. He just put his life on it. He risked everything and he was full of faith. And so as in chapter 4, he begins talking about Abraham. He's like, look, Abraham received righteousness. He received heaven. He received eternal life, a new life by believing me. It's no different for you. Just believe me and in faith put your life on it. Okay, so that's what he's talking about. He says, no matter what kind of rules and what kind of system, religion, whatever, we have the Catholic religion in Rome. I had the, the, the opportunity to go to Rome and, and be in the Vatican, and they are full of rules. I was like, I wouldn't even know what to do if I walked in here. I wouldn't even know how to do it. They're like, here, you can go over there and pray. And I walked over there, and they were like, like little, little booths where I could walk in and talk to a, a priest. And I was like, you can kneel down and pray. You can stand up and pray. I was like, all I know is, man, when I, when I come into church and pray, uh, I, I sing loudly. I, I walk back and forth. Sometimes I lay on the ground. Sometimes I fall asleep. I'm like, is all that okay in here? It's like this whole system. And so many times people are trying to develop a system of how to get to God rather than just trusting God with their lives. And that's what God wants us to do. So here we go. Romans chapter 4, 18. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. 
This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for us. To whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. More than anything, we thank you for Jesus. That we couldn't do what we needed to do to be in right standing with you. So you sent us a gift. You sent somebody to pay for us. To be the person who would take our debt. To take what it would take, the high cost, and pay it for us. And you said, just receive it. So today we receive it, Lord. We, we walk in what you've prepared for us because you are a God who's good and a giver and generous. And you desire to be with us more than we desire to be with you. We're grateful in Jesus' name. Amen. I, uh, I used to work on a cruise ship, Carnival Cruise Lines. Carnival Cruise Lines is, is like a party on the water. Okay, uh, It was a three and four day cruise. Anybody ever been on a cruise? Okay, uh, Cruises are really cool. Um, but when you work on there, you kind of like get onto a prison, okay? Uh, you can't get off for very long. You have to get back on. Uh, you're stuck, and a bunch of people are partying, and you cannot, okay? And so when I got on the boat, I was, I was the new kid. I was like 20 years old, hanging on this boat. My brother was there. He was like, he's like, look, there's some rules about working on the boat. He's like, uh, you, can only, you can only go to these certain floors. You can go to your room. You can go to where we work, which I played in a band, so it was, it was a good place. He's like, you can't go in the casino. You can't date anybody on the boat. Uh, I mean, like, guests. You can date, you know, the other girl down the, working down the way, but you can't date anybody that comes on the boat and gets off the boat. Uh, so he's, he's like, and, and you can't eat any of the food. You can't eat any of the food. If you're going to eat, you have to go downstairs to where we eat in our own cafeteria. He's like, with the exception of this one place, it's a pizza place down at the end. has pizza 24 hours a day. You can go down there, and they have, also have crepes. So um, it, he, these are the rules. He's like, but, but, until you start playing on stage, nobody will know who you are. I said, what? He's like, you can do whatever you want until they realize you work here. It's like, that's awesome. He's like, the first night there's going to be a party up by the pool. They're going to have a big buffet, a Mexican buffet. And I was like, I was like, really? Mexican food? All that I can eat? He's like, yeah, they'll have a whole tray of guacamole. And I was like, I'm going to eat so much guacamole, I'm going to get sick tonight. He's like, sounds good. So I went up there, and uh, I went through the buffet. Nobody knew who I was. There's just a regular 20-year-old standing there in street clothes. And I was like, guacamole, tacos, whatever. The next day, it was, it was a barbecue buffet. He's like, boom, barbecue buffet. He's like, he's like, you can go to this restaurant, that restaurant. You can go. He's like, I'll tell you what, down on the seventh floor, if you go down the hallway and to the right, there's going to be this little room. He's like, you walk in there. He's like, and it is room service. Room service. They won't deliver it to your, to your uh, room because you work here. But if they don't know that, you go in there and you, you, you slide them a little money. Call up there, tell them what you want. He's like, they'll make it for you and you can go pick it up. I was like, that sounds heavenly. So every night, like 3 o'clock in the morning after we got done playing music, I would go up there. I'd be like, hey, give me a turkey sandwich and chips and some pickles. I'd walk up there, slip them a little $5 bill, and they would give me food, and I would take it back down. All of which was absolutely illegal to work there. Right? Don't look at me so holy like you, like you don't do break the rules at your job, okay? 
for one week, I partied, had a great time. And, uh, and then I started playing, and they knew who I was. Now, on, on the boat, there's like, there's like, I don't know what they're called, the commandantes, the commanders. They're like the, the, in charge of everything. The, the, these very scary Italian guys that walk around with uniforms as if they are generals in like, you know, the army in 1692. I mean, like a long time ago, they walk around. They don't speak much English, and they're like, hey, you, what are you doing here? Like, and you're like, oh, I don't know, I'm just, you know, 20 years old, just walking around, eating guacamole. And they're like, no, you work upstairs. I've seen you on the drums. Okay, and like, so one day I go into room service. Okay, I walk into room service, and I'm like, yeah, man, give me that sandwich. <laughs> and I give them that $5 bill or $20 bill, whatever. And they give me like a, 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 a big thing of pickles. And uh, I, was, I was having a party. I walk out, and then I walk in. As I'm walking out the the general commander guy walks in with his uniform on. He looks at me and says, what are you doing here? I said, I'm, I'm just, uh, just getting a little something to eat. He's like, you work here, don't you? Uh, yes, y- yes, sir, I do. He says, you are not allowed to come down and get room service. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm shaking my boots, whatever. He's like, I was like, well, I was like, what do you say? Nobody ever told me that, right? He's like, no, that's not the truth. Don't do it again. <laughs> and uh, so I was really scared. I, I, I broke the rules, and I got caught. Have you ever broken the rules and got caught? Have you been so scared that you were going to blow it all, right? And this is kind of like salvation for us. As a matter of fact, um, the, the idea of salvation to people who are not on the boat is like, Come be our guest. Come to church. It's going to be lots of fun. As a matter of fact, we're going to have dinner. We're going to have smoke and lights and song. It's going to be so cool. Oh, oh, you have a prayer request. Okay, I'm here to tell you today that God's going to do it for you. He's going, to, he's going to move in your life. He's going to heal you. He's going to do so much stuff. He can provide for your finances. We're like selling it to the guest, right? Right? And for a while, when we first come to church, we're buying in the hype too. We're like, hey, we can, we can have the fullness of everything that's on this boat called Christianity. And then all of a sudden, then we, we start working here, we start serving, and we're, we're in it for a while. And then we kind of buy into that boat mentality. It's like, hey, whoa, 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 you work here? You're part of this Christianity thing? Don't ask for too much. That buffet, that's not for you. All all that God has for you, the goodness, the fullness, the guacamole, not for you. As a matter of fact, you work here. You better get out of here. This is for the guests. We're going to sell it to people who don't know that it's actually a prison. Because if you work there, you can't go to Burger King. You can't get off to go shopping. You're just stuck. And we treat our Christian life just like that. As if somehow that salvation is, you know, a free boat ride. But no gifts, no life, no nothing. You have no freedom. You're just stuck. But to everybody else, come and get some of Jesus, please. It'll be a good time. We'll let you play at the pool. We'll, we'll take care of you. We'll, we'll roll out the red carpet for you until you get on the boat with us. And when you work here, you hit the limits. Oftentimes, we view salvation as a free gift. And then we say dumb things like this, like, well, if God just saved me, I'm just so, so grateful that God saved me. He doesn't have to do one more thing for me. That's crap. 
It's absolutely crap. It's as ridiculous as you giving birth to a child and saying, here you go, kid. I birthed you, but I'm not going to raise you. I know you have needs. I know you have some development. I have things you have to go through. I want good things for you, but you're not going to get it from me. That's the way we view God when we have this idea of Christianity that, well, God wants to save us, but that's all it includes. It just includes heaven. But Abraham is a perfect picture of this idea that God comes and saves Abraham. He's like, he's like hey, look, if I'm going to take you up to a, a place, a promised land, a place where you can go, and, and your life will be dramatically different. It will be transformed And Abraham follows him, and the Bible says it was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, that he's in right standing with God, he has a good relationship with God, and that he gets to heaven. But he does more than that. He's like, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Now he's 100 years old. He's 100 years old, and what that means is that God is going to give him a child. A child is going to come to him and his wife, but he's old. Now, when I was growing up, they used to say, well, you know, people in the Bible, they lived to like 900. So like 100 is probably like, he was like probably like 30 years old. The Bible says, no, his body was as good as dead. So in other words, you aged to like 70, 75, 100, and you felt like you were dead, but you lived till 900. Right? This is what the Bible dictates to us. Okay, so here's Abraham. His body is as good as dead. Right? And he goes on this walk, and, and Jesus, or God starts showing him stuff. Jesus comes to him and speaks to him in the form of, 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 of the, the angel of the Lord. And, and all of these things are happening. And, and, and he shows Abraham, he's like, look over there. He's like, you see that land right there? He's like, wow, that's a pretty land. I like that. That's amazing. He's like, that'll be yours. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean? My, I, I, I can't buy that. I can't, you know, what do you, what do you mean? He's like, no, that's the promised land that will belong to you and your children forever. What? Yeah. He's like, I will bless you and make your name great, he tells him. That's a crazy thing to think about. He's like, and those that bless you will be blessed. Those that curse you will be cursed. That sounds like a really good blessing, right? It's like, those that love me and treat me really good will also be blessed. And those that curse me, well, (laughs) they had it coming, you know. He had it coming. That sounds like a crazy blessing. He says, all nations on the whole entire earth will be blessed through you. And so it wasn't long. Abraham like starts rolling around. And he, he amasses flocks. He amasses uh, 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 servants and, and staff. And he has, he has a great amount of stuff. And the Bible says that he has so much stuff that kings invited him to his house. And were like, hey, uh, bring that Abraham guy here. And they wanted to marry his wife. They was afraid that, that they would kill Abraham and take his wife. So he's like, tell him, tell him that you're my sister, please, because they'll, they'll kill me and take all that I have. If you have nothing, nobody wants it. Nobody wants it. Abraham had so much stuff. Why? Because God was blessing him. It wasn't just his salvation God was concerned about. It was him being marked by the presence and the power of God, and it affected all of his life. That's what God wants to do in his people. So when he says, Abraham was, was like the first of these. And he, right here he says, not only was this for Abraham, it was written not just for him, but also for us. That when you believe God, salvation comes into your life. And that God wants to be intimately involved with everything that you're doing. He wants to pro- progress you, prosper you, give you life, and life more abundantly. Because that's the kind of dad that he is. 
He doesn't do it because you kept a nice long list of rules. He does it because that's the way that he wants to interact with you. He says, believe me and I will fulfill things in your life that you have never seen before. But most of the time we just come to God like when we're in our worst and we're like, God, save me. Please do something. If you can just do anything, I'll never ask for anything again. And we get saved and then we're like, okay, could you help me with my light bill? Okay, could you? This isn't a want. This is a legitimate need, God. I just took my kid to, to uh, Chuck E. Cheese yesterday. Uh, it was Judah's birthday a few weeks ago. So he's, at, he's seven, and I want to have like that memorable, like, you know, let's, let's party. And so we took him to Chuck E. Cheese, and he got to go on the ticket blaster and try to catch tickets out of the air, which is near impossible. And, uh, but he loved it. He was excited, and it, it brought such joy to my heart to give to him, to bless him, to see excitement in his face, to see life happening for him in a great way. That was a blessing for me. The Bible talks about how if we're being earthly fathers, earthly mothers, know how to give good gifts to our kids, how much more does God know how to give good gifts to you and me? We sell them short. Because we're convinced that this thing called Christianity, that life in Christ is not newness, it's not fullness, it's none of that stuff, it's a prison. But we'll sell it to everybody else like it's a pretty ride at the right restaurants, free food, and a great time. Come get on board until it's time for you to get locked up. So we serve most of our days just suffering through, hoping that God will show up and do something. But if you don't get anything else from this today, I want you to know that Abraham's life was more than just forgiveness of sins. It was fullness. It was new. It was walking in the things that God had for him because God cared for him. It's here that God revealed himself as God, Jehovah, El Shaddai. El Shaddai is the God who's more than enough for every circumstance. There's nothing too hard. You could say it this way, the God for whom which nothing is too hard. There's some things in your life you need to stop going, well, here I am stuck on this thing called Christianity, suffering for Jesus. Wouldn't it, wasn't it so much better when I was an atheist? Wasn't it so much better was it far from God? I had all this money. I had all this stuff. I could pay my bills. I could, I, could, I could take my kids on vacation. I had somebody in my life at all times. I had friends. I had relationships. I had a good job. And then I, I came to Jesus, and everything fell apart. So you need to look at some of your stuff and say, this looks like a job for El Shaddai. This looks like a place where God can move in my life. This looks like uh, something for which nothing is too hard. Because God wants to be a part of your life. And that doesn't come by you serving a bunch of rules and doing a bunch of regulations. It comes from you believing God. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Here's what happened with Abraham. God gave him a promise. Okay? So here's what happens in verse 19. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the facts that his body was as good as dead. Without weakening in the faith, he faced the facts that his body was good as dead. Now, here's something about faith, believing God, a lot of people are tricked into believing. It's some kind of mystic thing where you just kind of avoid the truth, and maybe God will handle it. Right? Like, you're sick, and you're like, oh, I got a pain right here, but, you know, God's going to heal it. I'm not going to go to the doctor. Right? There's a whole bunch of people out there like, ah, you know, just rub some peppermint oil on your forehead three times a day, and I guarantee you that that gallbladder will just completely heal itself. Right? 
Here's Abraham. He's like, you know what? He's like, my body is as good as dead. As a matter of fact, God says, you're going to have a child. And both he and his wife laughed at God. Has God ever shown you anything, promised you anything that you were just like, ha that'd be nice. Right? This is why most people shrink back into suffering because they aren't willing to believe God because they're facing the facts. Hey, uh, you know, you should be debt free. And what you think when God says, I want you to be debt free, is that you're like, oh, I'm going to have to suffer so hard to pay off all this debt. And you might. But sometimes God wants to move in your life supernaturally to participate with things happening in your life. I'll never forget the time I had $8,000 of debt paid off like that supernaturally. Don't be jealous. You're kind of low key jealous. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, that $8,000 debt paid off supernaturally helped me to believe that God could do it again. Work in my life, every payment I make, I'm just like, you know, I think think God's going to supernaturally work in my life to help provide for this, that I could give more money than I have to pay to a credit card company, have to pay to the IRS, have to pay to a, a, a student loan, right? I started thinking about like, what would it be like if my house was paid off? That's a pretty huge chunk of change. What could I do with that much money? Hmm. Who could I give to? What could I, what could I transform? What could I leave for my children's children? Because of debt. So when God says, uh, debt free is a possibility. You got to face the facts. Like, look, I'm not debt free. But oftentimes we just laugh and go, ha ha, that'd be nice. But he said he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. But yet he didn't waver through unbelief. There's some stuff that you are going to have to look at and go, you know what? This is not working out. This is not the way it's supposed to be. This is the truth and the facts. But most of the time, you're not preaching the gospel. You're only preaching the facts. Most of the time, you don't believe in Jesus. Most of the time, you're just like over here going, this is what's going to happen to me. And you live in a place called disaster. You worship it. You love it. You're like, this is the cold, hard facts. It's not what God wants for you. And he demonstrates it by taking a 100-year-old man and his wife and giving them a baby despite all of the circumstances. If you need a little hope in your life, just look at that one. Just look at that one. It's like, I don't know much about how, how women's health works, but I think when you're a 100-year-old woman, some stuff is just doesn't exist in your body anymore. Right? But yet God was able to use nothing, the facts, and transform it into a miracle. That Abraham actually left a a, a safe place, a house, a home, a family, all of that stuff. And he had more stuff just by wandering around in the desert while God showed him who he was and how faithful God could be. God had more, or Abraham had more by trusting God out in the wilderness with nothing. It's pretty amazing, actually. Some people are saying, I'd I'd do great things for God. Maybe I'd be a missionary. I would go out and do awesome things. But how could I do that? I how, where my kids live? My dad lived in, out of a car for 10 years, traveling the nation, ministering to people. No credit cards, no nothing. Just next place to the next place. If, the, if it came in the offering, he would live to the next place. And if the car breaks down and he didn't have no money, like he would literally, like God would be like, turn right here. And he would turn right and he would walk into a garage and, and he'd be like, I, my car's not working. Uh, 
And they would be like, hey, we got it. And they would fix it out in the middle of nowhere. God will supernaturally provide. And he'll do the same thing for you in the things of your life if you can face the facts and then move to this next thing. Remember the promise. Remember the promise. Now, here's, here's the fault in most Christians. Might be your fault. Might be, might not be. But just, you got to face the facts on this. Most people have no idea what God has promised. It's true. It's true. Most, let me just, dab, can I dabble a little bit? Huh? Can I dabble a little bit? Most people keep more track of the promises Obama made than they do what God made. Most people keep track of the promises that Trump made than they do what... They'll spend their time talking about how a person didn't live up to their promise who they don't even know and doesn't even really matter because they're so sick and tired of their life that they need something to do because they won't figure out what God said and believe him. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes you digging and spending time with God to know his heart and what he says and what he has for you. But I guarantee you, it is his desire to communicate to you what he wants for you. And if you don't know it, then you'll never know the promise. And so you're like, well, I faced the facts, but you don't know the promise. Because you faced the facts his body's going to dead since he was 100 years old. Sarah's womb was dead, but he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise. I'll never forget when I actually started to believe that God wanted me to prosper and be in health just like my soul prospered. That's everything in your life. That's the outside prospering. That's the inside prospering. Health in your body. Health in your mind health in your heart. we got enough people, especially Christians, that will walk around talking about how they're stuck in something and God has chosen them to bear a cross, bear a cross of a mental disorder, of some kind of like thing in their life that, that they just have to deal with instead of, even though it's there, even though you have to deal with it, not wavering but remembering the promise of God just as your soul prospers. Your soul is your mind, will, and your emotions. Everything should be redeemed. You're like, well, I don't have any patience. Well, I don't, I don't have any love for that person. Well, I, I just can't believe like you, Brandon. All that stuff is in your soul, and God wants to give it to you, but you don't know it because you don't know what he's promised. It's more than just salvation and a ticket to heaven. It is life and life more abundantly. Half the people are trying to figure out why God is destroying their life when Jesus himself said, I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. And right before that, he says, the thief, Satan, the devil, says he's the one who's come to kill, steal, and destroy. And you keep blaming me for stuff that he's doing in your life. I want to overcome what Satan is trying to trick you into. You have to be the person who believes the promise by faith. Now, here's the problem with the promise. It's hard to pay the price if you can't see the promise. Write that down. It's hard to pay the price if you can't see the promise. There's a price with believing. Here's what happened to Abraham and Sarah. Actually, their names were Abram and Sarai which sounds like a terrible name, Abram, Sarai. 
Because God wanted to convince them of his nature and who he was and what he had for them. He says, from now on, your name, Abram, will not be Abram. It will be Abraham. He puts an H right in the middle. H is actually kind of an interesting um, thing. It, if, if you study it out in, in Jewish culture, H is actually five. It's, it's the number of grace. He puts grace into their life. Abraham, my grace into your life. And then he takes Sarai, and he's like, S-A-R-A-I. He's like, I don't like that I right there. Let's change it. Let's put a little grace in there. Let's put an H. And so it becomes Sarah. And every one of us knows a Sarah somewhere, somehow, who was named after this woman, whether they know it or not. It's H. Now, Abraham, Abram was an interesting name. It, it, it held a certain power. But when he added that H, it went from Abram to Abraham, which means father of many nations. Now, that's a joke. That's a joke, actually, because Abraham had no kids. He's 100 years old. He's kind of like the old maid, except for he's the man. What do you call that? Something. Old man. And Sarah's the old maid, and, and hers is like, it's, it's, they have this, this title that now every time you talk to me, hey, can you come over here for a second? Abraham, father of many nations. Father of many nations. I'm not even the father of one. As a matter of fact, even Abraham starts talking to God. He's like, look, I got this servant. He's a good servant. I'll tell you what, I'll give all of my inheritance to him, and he'll be the one that you said. He's like, no, 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 I said son. I said, you'll have a son. No, I said, you'll be the father. You would be the father, not the master. Not that he would be your servant. That you would have a son. And so everywhere they go, everyone is speaking out this promise, whether they know it or not. And Abraham's hearing it. You'll be the father. Father of many nations. Hey, father of many nations. Hey, father of many nations. Hey, father of many nations. Father. Hey, father. Father. Is it a cruel joke or is it a promise? What if you start walking around and you walk into your spouse and, and, and she looks at you and she's washing the dishes and, and, and putting them in the dishwasher and she looks at you and you come home and you loosen up your tie or you take off your work clothes and she goes, hey, Mr. Debt Free. <laughs> Why'd you say that? You just trying to like kick me while I'm down? <laughs> no, because I see debt free in you. What if you walked up to their woman of God and said, hey, super mom, woman who raises warriors. Hey, woman who is, who's providing for her family. Proverbs 31 says that she goes out and raises money and brings it back into the house and does amazing things and, and her children call her blessed. How about that one? That when, you're, when your kid's cussing you out, yeah. Yeah, 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 blank, blank, blank. And they run in and they shut their door and they're having an attitude and you go, hey, my children are rising up and calling me blessed. Thank you. That's the promise of God. All my children are talking about the Lord. Hallelujah. It's the promise. But you don't know it because you don't study it. And even though the facts look different, what if what you said reflected God's promise? But it, it comes at a price. It'll come at a price. Believing the promise takes some guts. Takes some. I, I imagine when Abraham was like, like if I changed my name today to Kevin, you'd be like, hey, Ke hey, Brent, uh, Kevin, I'm sorry. How long did it take for people to, to switch over to Abraham? 
Hey, Abram. I wonder if he corrected him. Hey, Abraham. And I wonder how many, we're talking about 25, 30 years he waited for the promise. If maybe he got tired of like, you know what? Just, Just call me Abram. It's fine. I'm not really the father of many nations. This is a joke. He says he never wavered with unbelief because he was willing to look at and see the promise. So when God takes him out, he says, take some sand in your hands. Okay? Your descendants will be as numerous as the sands of the seashore. What? Yeah, you're Abraham, right? But I don't even have a son. Yeah. Remember how I saved you, Abraham? That's the same way that I'm going to do the impossible in your life. If you believe me, you got to see it first. Count the stars, Abraham. And he would look out and be like, one, two, three, four. And there was no light pollution. You think your, your country view is good. We're talking about like out in the middle of nowhere. Five, six, one. Yeah, why do you want me to count? Because your descendants will be just like that. You can't count. But I don't, I don't see that. My body's as good as dead. I, everybody keeps calling me Abraham, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. He says, no, you got to see the promise. And if you don't see it, you won't pay the price. Most of the kids in your family, the reason why you're so frustrated with them is because they don't see hope in the future. They don't. You wonder why they're giving up and they're, they're running out and everything's happening. They like, don't see hope. And the giver of hope is you. It's the person who looks at them and says, Jesus is going to do great and mighty things in your life. And you start to call them what God calls them. It takes you believing and seeing the promise in them. So you've got to remember the promise. The next one, I'm going to wrap up because we've got to eat. And it's, you're going to celebrate me, I think. I want you to you know, be in good mood for that. But you've got to change what you say. Just like Abraham changed his name, he's the father of many nations. What do you say out of your mouth? No, seriously, what do you say out of your mouth? What are the things you always say? It needs to change. And honestly, if people are coming around you who don't say the right things, you need to like build up a little bit of a little barrier. Be like, hey, this is how we talk over here. Every time somebody wants to complain, you're just like, no, 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 You're going to have to go over there. This is the God promises zone. Are you kidding me? You work in a prison of religion. No, I work in the favor of God. I live in life and life more abundantly. That when God saved me, he wasn't just concerned about my heaven. He was concerned about him being in my life right now. And you've been so worried about whether or not you're doing all the right things on the list instead of saying, God, what are you going to do in my life? What do you want to do in my life? And trust me, he's calling you to greater. He's calling you to more. But you are spending too much time listening to everybody else complain and it's gotten into your spirit. You get so busy listening to everybody's testimonials testimonials about how, how their marriage didn't work, about how their business failed about how their job with that person, and it'll never work. It'll never work. Uh, nope, not going anywhere. It's a dead end. And you're like, yeah, you're right. I, 
think I've just faced the facts. It's a dead end. God is saying, face the facts, but remember the promise. Face the facts. And he says he didn't waver through unbelief. The Bible says that those that, that doubt with unbelief, he's like, they're like a, a ship tossed back and forth by big waves. And that's your life every single day, just tossed back and forth. Unless you can set the sail with the promise of God. And the Bible says that the wind, the spirit is like the wind and it's blowing. He says those who are born of the spirit can catch it. They can feel it. So God, give us the wisdom to set the sail that you desire for us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God is doing great and mighty things in your life, whether you know it or not. It's just up to you to walk in it. And the Bible says that you receive it by faith. That's believing God. Sometimes that believing God requires movement. Most of the time it does. It's pretty funny to actually think of, but when 100-year-old Abraham and Sarah were going to the baby showers, they're saying, hey, all the young mothers were talking about, are you guys going to have kids? Are you guys, what are you guys thinking about your family? Sarah said, we're going to have, we're, we're trying. Think about that. We're trying. Did you stop trying to walk in the promise of what God has asked you to do? Loving, maybe it's dating that person. Maybe it's trying to open up the new business, applying for the home loan trying for the better job, moving forward on what God has you for, looking for the house, being faithful to the job that you're at, praying for that child, praying for that job, praying for what God wants you to go. He saved you without a doubt. He's got that in the bag. Now he wants to give you newness of life. More than enough. He is El Shaddai. Today, if you're here to say, Brandon, pray for me. Something's ringing in my spirit. I feel what you're talking about. It's like something wants to jump up inside of me to believe for what God wants to do in my life. If that's you, would you raise your hand where you are? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, I pray for my friends in this room, full of faith in the Holy Spirit, that they want to know you in greater ways in each area of their life. Maybe some places they've given up because they've faced the facts. I pray that they've faced the facts and believe rather than face the facts and give up. They would believe for more than enough and they would find themselves in the word looking for what you have for them. They would find themselves praying and walking in the spirit in a greater way. They would change the way that they talk. They would change the way that they, who they hang around and the way they talk. And they'd say, you know what? When you look at me, you say debt free. When you look at me, you say more than enough. You say well able. You say strong and mighty. You say full of peace. That's who we are. And we're that way because we're yours. And you are giving us life and light. 